welcome to episode four of Compassion and Cucumbers, a vegan podcast. I'm Christine, and I'm here with my wife. Hi, I'm Sam. That's Sam. And uh, in today's episode, we're going to be doing a little bit of a review on a film that we saw uh, called Eating Ourselves, no, Eating Our Way to Extinction. It'd yeah. be nice if I knew the name of the film, but that's it's what it's important. called. Yeah. Uh, we saw this film uh, last Thursday at a theater. It had a one-day release date uh, where we are. And um, a little disappointed when we went in to see the movie, we were the only ones in the theater. Just the two of us, which was very disappointing to me that no one else was there. Well, disappointing, sure, but I think also not terribly surprising. I mean, you have to remember, we are still in the midst of a a pandemic, and I don't think a lot of people are heading out to movie theaters just yet. Yeah, um, yeah, I think the movie theaters just recently reopened, and um, everything's shut down, like uh, all the concessions and all that. They have like an arcade area, and all that is not open to the public. So, yeah, I mean, I suppose there's that, but still... um, I saw a lot of uh, area vegans posting about the movie and asking questions about the movie. So I expected there to be at least one or two other uh, vegans at the movie. Now, mind you, vegans are really not the ones who need to see this movie. Um, it's the non-vegans that we really want to reach out to with a movie like this. But anyway. Yeah, I think you're right there. I mean, we're not the target audience. For this movie, it's yeah. it's one of those. Oh, okay, the movie is preaching, and we are the choir. Exactly, it, it's one of those situations. I mean, which is fine. It doesn't mean that we can't get anything new or different or valuable from it. Um, in fact, I'm I'm pretty sure that I. I mean, no, I do know that I at least did. Yeah, yeah, I did too. I did get some things out of it. Um, so let's just jump right into it. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, as Christine mentioned, when we got to the theater, we were the only ones there, um, which was a little disappointing, but not entirely surprising. Um, And we actually missed about the first five minutes of the movie. Uh, We miscalculated how long it would take us to get from where we were having dinner to where we were uh, going to see the movie. So, yeah. And there were no. I'm, I'm guessing there were no trailers. There couldn't have been. Yeah. Yeah, there couldn't have been. Yeah, because the movie was scheduled to start at 7 o'clock, and I think we got there at like 7.05. Yeah. And it it was already, it had already started. So yeah. no trailers in, in before the movie, so. Right, but we, we did miss the, the first few minutes of the movie. Um, and one of the things that, uh, so basically uh, on a broad scale, what this movie is, um, is it is coming at um, the idea of animal agriculture being one of the primary causes of global warming, of rainforest destruction, of uh, dead zones in the oceans, et cetera, et cetera. And it really wasn't coming at it from a, a truly vegan standpoint. It was coming at it from an environmentalist standpoint. Yeah. Uh, so even though there were multiple points in the movie where it was suggested that shifting to a plant-based diet is essentially one of the greatest things that an individual can do to ameliorate 
Ooh, good word. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where that came from. But uh, to offset uh, the damage that is being done, yeah. um, it, it was not coming at this from an ethical standpoint. This no. was not about the animals. This was about the environment. Yeah. I mean, uh, I guess it wasn't coming at it from an ethical standpoint, but they did make it about the animals. Um in certain areas. Uh, I'll just read you what their synopsis is on their website in case anybody's interested in that. Um, cool. They say, uh, eating our way to extinction takes audiences on a cinematic journey around the world. From the depths of the Amazon rainforest to the Taiwanese mountains, the Mongolian desert, the U.S. Dust Bowl, the Norwegian fjords, and the Scottish coastlines, telling the story of our planet through shocking testimonials, poignant accounts from indigenous people most affected by our ever-changing planet, globally renowned figures, and leading scientists. This powerful documentary sends a simple but impactful message by uncovering hard truths and addressing on the big screen the most pressing issue of our generation, ecological collapse. So that's their synopsis. How do you feel their synopsis compares to the actual film? Well, I, I think it's reasonably accurate, uh, actually. The um, thing is, I, I feel like we were... Yes, there was a journey. I definitely appreciated that uh, it took on the concept of ecological collapse uh, in a global sense. It right. wasn't just focusing on one area of the world, so I definitely no, appreciated definitely not. that. But... I didn't really feel like we were on a journey. I felt like we were being shown right. parts of, of the world where these issues are particularly um, problematic. Yeah, yeah. And full disclosure, we listened to the Bearded Vegans review of this a couple of days ago uh, because I think it was Andy got early access um, because he donated to their, I don't know if it was a Kickstarter or some kind of crowdfunding campaign. Um, yeah, so those, Andy. Yeah, the, the people that um, donated got an early access release of it. And um, I'll agree with their, their assessment that the film was a little disjointed. Yeah, I th and I, I think they made that point very, very well, the yeah. idea that we were jumping from place to place, but there was very little continuity, there was very little arc, Yeah. Uh, so it was kind of like, oh, well, for a moment we would be in Brazil and we would talk about XYZ issues, and right. then with no lead-in of any kind, all of a sudden we're in Norway or we're in Scotland or right. we're in Mongolia. Which, again, I appreciate the the inclusion of all of those places. Yeah, making it a global issue. And sure, the very specific impact that global warming and climate change and ecological collapse are having in those areas. Yeah, because obviously it's very very different. Right. Um, in each area. You know, in the Taiwanese highlands, are talking about there being too much water. In Mongolia, there's not enough. Right. You know, so it just it varies um, from place to place what the what the impact is and what the corresponding problems are. Yeah. Now, I don't think we have to worry too much about spoiling the film for people. Um, early in the film, um, they focused on um, fish farming, and I think it was. 
specifically salmon farming. And uh, that, I thought, was one of the more impactful periods in the film, is showing um, you know, the amount of chemicals that they have to put into the, the farmed fish tank areas. Uh, many shots of very sick-looking zombie fish. And um, I think if uh, fish eaters around the world saw that those clips... Um, they would seriously think twice about buying that salmon at the grocery store because it's, wow, not what you think when you're thinking farmed salmon. You're thinking, you know, uh, healthy-looking fish, and these fish are not not healthy. They're not healthy-looking. They're not healthy, period. And and um, they to control... Um, the the lice that the fish get, they suck them up through this vacuum machine that is supposed to suck the lice off of them, and then they shoot them back into the pools. It's just like, it's terrible what these poor animals are going through. And when you see them swimming around, obviously distressed and sick, and it, it's it's I think it's really moving, and I thought it was really impactful. I mean, I did see um, Seaspiracy, but I stopped Seaspiracy probably about maybe three quarters of the way through because it was disturbing to me. And I thought, well, you know what? I don't need to expose myself to this. I am currently not, you know, eating these animals. Um, I understand what's happening with the overfishing of the oceans and the uh, ocean mammals that are being affected uh, by overfishing and and uh, the the uh, amount of fishing waste that's left in the ocean and all that. So I actually turned Seaspiracy off most of the way through through it because it, it was disturbing to me. But I think that the scene in um, in this film with the farmed fish, uh, I think it was really impactful. I agree. Um, I appreciated that they spent about 20 to 30 minutes specifically talking about fish farms. Um, I have not yet seen Seaspiracy, and so this was really kind of a first for me, seeing the uh, both the impact, uh, the environmental impact of fish farming yeah. on uh, on the waters in which it happens, and then of course the impact it has on the fish themselves. Yeah. This was these were new images for me, and I I definitely found it. Disturbing, um, but at the same time, I was thinking, "Wow, how did I ever expect that this would be any different?" Right? How did we expect you know, that fish farming would be any different than any other factory farming operation? Right. And we've seen plenty of images through plenty of documentaries of the dairy industry and the chicken industry and the beef industry, and we know what those conditions are and we know how horrifically the animals are treated how can we assume or how could I I was surprised at myself how could I have ever assumed that it would be different for fish yeah. um, so as with any other uh, factory farming situation the fish are in a contained space um, they are sprayed with fungicides and delousing solutions and as Christine mentioned being sucked up into a machine to be deloused and then thrown back into the pool um, it's 
terribly abusive. You can see that the fish are ill. Um, and not only because of the polyps and scars and all of that that you're seeing on their flesh, yeah. but you can see it in their <clears throat> eyes. Yeah, you can see... Uh, you can definitely see distress in their eyes. Distress, uh, and like I said, they, they look like zombies. Yeah. Like they look like zombie shells of what they should actually be. Yeah. It's really sad. Yes. So for me, that was really very impactful. I mean, as was um, the image of the sea mammals uh, caught in fishing nets. And yeah. um, obviously these are not new images. These were, though, particularly artfully done. Yeah, I mean, um, it's a beautiful film. The cinematography is, is it, very it's beautiful. It's fantastic. Yeah, yes. so they have a lot of these kind of slow motion, um, I guess you can say they're beautiful shots of sea turtles and other marine life um, being, you know, caught like by kill or whatever they call it caught catch, caught up yeah. in the in the nets and uh, of course that's always disturbing to see yeah yeah, yeah. so I, I did think that they did an excellent job um dealing with uh factory fishing um so i was i was grateful for that section of the film because i i feel like it did open my eyes a little bit i mean again preaching to the choir right I'm not eating fish anyway yeah. um but at the same time, it was um, it was good to see that attention paid because, like I said, those yeah, were it new was. images for me. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think they were really impactful images. And then they, at one point, um, went into kind of a, a spy mode where um, apparently they had got word from somebody that worked at one of these um, fisheries that said that early in the morning um, workers will uh, dawn like um, – hazmat suits or whatever and you can see them spraying the chemicals and the delousing solutions and all that into the tanks so they did they were like hiding behind something and filming this guy in um i wouldn't say he was in a ha hazmat suit he was definitely covered his head was covered he was wearing goggles he had um you know like a, a jacket like a look to me like just like a rain jacket or something but his hands were completely exposed so i wouldn't say that he was like dressed up in a hazmat suit or anything um and they didn't really take it any further than that no. um they they showed that footage and then they kind of went on to something else right. so it wasn't um it wasn't as in-depth as i had hoped that section would be no, I think where I think where things went uh, not long after that shot was to the the Tony Robbins story, right? Yeah, uh, where Tony Robbins is uh, talking about how ill he became because of the amount of fish that he was eating at one point during his life, and that he had by the bioaccumulation of heavy metals and uh, toxins and pesticides and all kinds of things yeah. um, in his system because of his consumption of fish. Yeah, he he supposedly had some sort of mercury poisoning and, and yeah. everything because of his uh, heavy consumption of fish. Right. So, um, yeah. So where did they go from after the Tony Robbins thing? Um, well, unfortunately, because we don't have early access, as do our friends, the Beard and Ve Bearded Vegans, <laughs> we can't watch we it can't again. We can't rewatch it. And so I, I don't have an exact chronology of the film in my head. So yeah. I'm not sure I don't either. exactly where we went um, after that. But... 
Oh, I oh, but on that note, you can. I just saw that they are releasing it for pre. You can purchase it for pre-release on iTunes and Apple TV for nine ninety nine. I just saw that they released that on their Instagram feed. So, oh, great! If people want to see it, they didn't give a release date, but they did say that you can purchase it now for pre-release. So mm-hmm. that's if people are interested in seeing it and didn't get a chance to see it in the theaters, that's definitely something you'd want to check out. Right. I mean, I do think that in certain areas it is still in the theaters. I think it is up until the 26th of September. Uh, I know that in some UK theaters, uh, some Irish movie theaters, and possibly larger markets uh, in the United States, it is still in theaters right now. Yeah. Um, Now, they did have a a bunch of... I'm using air quotes because I'm not sure I don't know all these people and haven't done the research of experts in different um, places around the world Mm -hmm. that they uh, cut to interviews with experts and a lot of them that we had never um, heard from before uh, because I think a lot of them aren't they're not vegan experts you know they're not the typical vegan talking heads that we see in a lot of these documentaries Um, they're more like scientific experts yeah Um, and I can on their website, oh, well, I don't know if people know, uh, it was narrated by Kate Winslet. Yes. So that gives them, you know, some good uh, star power exposure for this film. And I think that they probably had a pretty decent sized budget um, because of it. So, yeah, we did mention the Tony Tony Robbins, which I thought was, okay, so Tony Robbins had this thing with fish. So I understand why they interviewed him, but I don't really find Tony Robbins to be a, an influential, at least not to me, an influential person. Um and then, surprise, surprise, uh, all of a sudden, Richard Branson comes on the screen. And I am so flummoxed as to why Richard Branson is talking to me about um, reducing animal products and all that in our lives that I honestly, while we were watching the film, did not hear a word he said. Because in my <laughs> head, all I can hear is, why? Why is it Richard Branson? Why yeah. is Richard Branson here? Why is Richard Branson <laughs> Yeah, uh, it it really makes no sense. Um, I do believe that Richard Branson was listed as one of the executive producers of the film. Yeah, I I Um, think he bought his way on screen. Yeah, I think that that's probably true. And for me, that really didn't work. Yeah, Um, that kind of fell flat um, because we know uh, Richard Branson, okay, we know he's a billionaire. No, nothing against billionaires. We know he owns uh, airlines, uh, cruise lines. Um, a tr- does he own like a train yes. line? Uh, a train, a transit yes. line of trains. I don't know what you call that. I and, believe the company's name is Virgin Trains. Yeah, Virgin Trains. And um, Sam's immediate response was, uh, do you think all the meals served on... The airlines and the cruise lines and his trains are plant-based? Well, let's, you know, let's do a little more research. So what did you find when you looked into that? Well, I mean, um, of course, the answer is no. Uh, I wasn't surprised to see that the answer was no. I would have been absolutely shocked and thrilled, mind you. Sure. um, If I had discovered that my instincts were completely wrong. I know. That would have been awesome. That, you know... All uh, virgin transport companies only serve plant-based meals. I would have immediately said, "Okay, great. We are only ever flying virgin right. ever again." Right. Uh, um, 
that'd be amazing. But of course, yeah. that's not the case um, because I don't think right now Virgin would see that as a realistic business model because the majority of people that they are serving are probably not vegan. I know, but how easy would it be? I mean, they can be pasta dishes. They can easily well, do that. Well, l- let me be clear. There are vegan options. Yeah. It's not that everything is animal-based. Yeah. Um, there are vegan options. And um, the examples that I saw were from one of their cruise ships. Okay. And so the vegetarian and vegan options were clearly marked. And there was a reasonable selection. But it did, It still seemed to me a little bit disingenuous for yeah. this phenomenally wealthy business owner yeah. to say that we all need to reduce the amount of animal products we're consuming the and, and thereby reduce the environmental damage being done by the animal agriculture yeah. industry. Yet he has a very clear way to do that. Yeah. Like he's got an avenue an built in to right. make an impact and on yeah. a massive scale. Right. You know, really on a massive scale for him to say, okay, guess what? You know, virgin transport companies are only going to serve plant-based meals from here on out. Right. We are not going to contribute to the animal agriculture industry because we don't want to support the environmental impact that is happening here. We don't want to support cruelty to animals. Like that would be incredible. Like, it would talk be. Talk about an opportunity. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, like, I, I thought um, the inclusion of Richard Branson was a little um, hypocritical. Yeah. Um, I understand why he was there because of the money. Sure. But but did he have to be on screen? I mean, is he a, a spokesperson for, you know, for, I don't think he's a spokesperson for this movement. I, I don't think no, he, I don't he was, see I don't him think he was a good choice. That either. And like I said, he took me so far out of the movie that I didn't hear a word he yeah. said just because I was shocked right. to see him there, yeah. you know. Um, I understand he could give money. Like, he, you know, he's very philanthropical. I understand that. But I don't think that he should have been speaking in this film. Um, but there was a woman who I thought was really impressive. Um, her name's Sylvia Earle. And she's uh, the former chief of NOAA, and and she's like an oceanic explorer and mm-hmm. a biologist. I thought um, the things that she had to say were were really good. Well, yeah, I mean, her contribution was absolutely valuable, and that's because she's one of the people who has been on the front lines confronting these issues. Right. You know, she's not there because she has money. She's there because she cares about the environmental impact that these industries are having. Yeah. And so, yes, all hail to Sylvia Earle, <laughs> without a doubt. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, most of the people that they were interviewing, I wasn't super familiar with. Um, there's Jeremy Rifkin, who's an economic and political advisor. Uh, I'm not sure for what country, it doesn't say. Um, uh, Olivier, Olivier, <laughs> I'm sorry, this guy's French. Um Oliver, I'm guessing. Olivier. Yeah, Olivier de Choutier. He's a former UN special reporter um, and I'm from France. There was Dr. Marco Springman, uh, future food from the University of Oxford, uh, Professor Peter Wadhams, 
an Arctic and ice expert from the University of Cambridge, uh, Joseph Poor, who's an environment and agriculture researcher uh, from the University of Oxford, uh, Dr. Tara Garnett, who's a food climate research uh, network University of Oxford, Oxford. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit because I'm looking on their website and they have their names in white and it's not really easy to read. They have their names in white over their photo and it's really hard to read. Uh, Gerard Witterburn Bishop, I think it says, former scientist, old government. I don't know what that means. Former scientist, old government. Um, Mauricio Ruiz, founder of ITPA Conservation Brazil. And then this was a shocker. All of a sudden, uh, Lee Camp from, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Lee Camp from uh, Redacted. He's um, a satirist and a comedian. All of a sudden, Lee Camp is standing in front of a brick wall doing like a stand-up routine. <laughs> And it was like, what the heck is happening? Yeah, it, it was a little bizarre. Um, and this, I believe, came in the Mongolian section of yeah. the film, actually. You know, we're um, hearing from some of the indigenous folk in Mongolia about how uh, climate collapse, uh, sorry, uh, ecological collapse is affecting them. Right. Um, and then all of a sudden we have Lee Camp. Yeah. Um, I mean, and it, that was a moment that kind of pulled me out of the film. Yeah, me too. Uh, Cause being, we're both like, what, what? Right. We're What's both happening? familiar with Lee Camp. Um, we used to watch Redacted Tonight pretty regularly, oh, yeah. particularly during the 2016 yeah. election cycle. I appreciate his humor and he's not just a comedian. He is an activist. Sure. Um, but it, it just seemed like a weird placement. Completely. And, um, why and why they didn't point out who all these indigenous people were that they were talking to? They they just kind of like indigenous person from Brazil, indigenous person from. It's like who are they? Right? Who, who are they? You know, where do they come from? What you know? What is their? You know, what do they do? Do they have expertise in any of this? Or are they just? Did they just pull? pull over some person on the side of the road and say, how, you know, how is this, how is climate change affecting you? They well, didn't say who these people were, which is a little weird. Well, no, I didn't, I didn't think it was weird. I thought it was problematic. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think they were so casual about it as to have just pulled somebody off the side of the road no, and said, I mean, hey, do you want to be in a movie? That's no, going I was a little being, far. I was being sarcastic. Okay. But um, it would have been nice um, not only to have known who these people were, um, because they were obviously people of influence within their communities. There right. was no question about that. Um, it, it did bother me that they were not named, as were yeah. the other um, contributors yeah. to the film. So that that did disturb me that we didn't have yeah, that was names odd. for these people. Also... Um, in most cases, uh, in those sections of the film, those people's words were being overdubbed. Right. We didn't actually see the indigenous people themselves right. speaking. Right. Now, that could easily have been because of language barrier. So right. we'll, we'll give a little bit of leeway there. Sure. But at the same time, it did make me wonder if the words being said were in fact their words right 
Um, we just have to take them on that. <laughs> right. And we just so have to take their word for it. I, I think the film could have done much better in acknowledging the contributions and the, um, and the knowledge, because these are people who are living with the effects of ecological collapse right. on a day-to-day basis. So right. I don't even think it's a matter of expertise. It's, well, yes, they're experts because they're living it. Right. So... Um, I think the film could have done much, much better in putting those people on the same platform that they put the professors and the doctors and the researchers. Right, the white people. Uh, Essentially, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so the only um, interview, well, aside from Lee Camp, we know who Lee Camp is and we know who Tony Robbins is, Um, Dr. Greger. Was Yay. was interviewed, and it was an interview apparently from 2018 where he states that we are headed to uh, a global pandemic, which that was impactful. And they didn't like, you know, blow it up or anything. They just put uh, words on the screen that said interview t- took place in 2018. Yeah. So, and they just said speaking in 2018. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm a big fan of Dr. Greger. I'm always happy to yeah, see we Dr. Love Dr. Greger. Dr. Greger. I, I get happy whenever I see Dr. Greger. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I think he does a good job of um, giving people facts and and not dumbing it down, but making it accessible. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've always found his manner of, of speaking and giving information to be very accessible, very personable. Um, I just always enjoy him. I, I do watch his YouTube channel, which is nutritionfacts.org. Yeah. And uh, so I'm always happy to see Dr. Greger. It's, it's really a good thing. But uh, he did actually have one of the more impactful moments in the film. Yeah, I and think so. And it was because of that um, that notation that said that he was speaking in 2018 and he was speaking very specifically about how if um, we were to continue um, abusing animals for the sake of our own consumption, consumption, there yeah. we go. Great, great way of putting that. Um then we would be heading for a global pandemic in the yeah. not too distant future. And uh, so literally he was anywhere from, you know, six months to a year ahead of yeah. COVID. Um, yeah. Now, granted, look, all the experts said that it was just, it wasn't an uh, if when it was, or it wasn't an if, it was when yes. um, a global pandemic would happen because it's just, we they were just headed down that road. I mean, with the amount of uh, agriculture, uh, the amount of factory farming, the amount of wet markets in China, it was just a matter of time before an animal-borne illness hmm. uh, jumped and made, you know, to the scale that COVID-19 did. It was just a matter of time. Yep. So... Uh, I mean, I guess it's a good thing that they've been working on uh, vaccines in the that affect the the COVID type virus. It's a good thing because uh, we'd be in a a world of hurt. We already are. I mean, yeah, we'd be in a much worse world of hurt. <laughs> <laughs> we'd be hurting much more, much worsely. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> anyway, there are a number of more. Um, a number of more uh, experts, I don't want to say so-called experts, because they probably are experts. I'm just not familiar with most of the people that spoke during the film or that they interviewed during the film. There's probably like 
eight or nine more that I didn't mention uh, that we are not familiar with. Um, so, I mean, they definitely did their homework, and I'm not sure how long this film took to to produce, but I think it's been... It's been several years. Yeah, a long time. Well, again, the footage of Dr. Grigger was taken in 2018, 2018 so, so you have to figure it's been at least three years in the making. Yeah, at least that long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, I, I mean, I think the film is worth seeing. Um, I think... Um, I think the right people need to see this film. And I think that's always the, that's always the hardest part of um, these films making an impact is getting into the right audience is getting, you know, meat eaters and, and people that are consuming animal products to see these films. And I guess it's, um, I guess we're charged with that. I guess vegans are kind of charged with that, sharing them uh, with non-vegans. And, you know, maybe if your family is over, say, hey, I'd really like for you people to check out this movie, you know, and see if it affects them. Um, Because I don't see how it can't. I don't see how this film and all the other uh, many, many documentaries about um, animal agriculture and um, plant-based diets and all that, I don't see how people are not affected by it. I just, I, it flummoxes me. (laughs) Well, but then again, you have to consider that you're coming from the perspective of someone who has adopted a plant-based lifestyle, who has adopted a vegan lifestyle. Yeah. So of course you get it. Yeah. But I mean, I was affected by seeing that footage of, you know, of course, factory farms and all that. It affected me to the point where I'm like, we're going vegan, you know? So uh, I just wish that it was that these films could reach uh, a broader audience, I guess. No, I agree with you. I think it would be wonderful if if they made it to a broader audience. And and yes, I agree that the vast majority of people who are going to seek out these kinds of movies are the folks who are already part of the animal liberation, environmental, and vegan movements. Yeah, yeah. That's not a surprise. Right. You which know. is which is why I was so disappointed that we were the only ones in the theater. It's mm. like I know there's a lot of vegans in this area that know that this film is happening, that they had been advertising this film and sharing posts on Instagram for months. Um, I mean, we bought our tickets to this film, I think, two months ago, maybe longer. No, it wasn't that long. It was long. It was at least a month ago. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember. So and and I saw multiple posts you know, for this film, mm-hmm. uh, sponsored posts. So it's like, you didn't have to, you didn't have to be following them to see them. If you're following vegan content, you would have seen these sponsored posts. So I, I was really disappointed that there weren't at least more vegans in the audience <laughs> supporting it, you know, and hopefully they'll support, um, the streaming version of it. Well, I have a feeling that they will. I mean, again, let's go back to the fact that there is a pandemic on, right? you know, and even though theaters are open, um, I mean, to be fair, this was the first movie that we've seen in a theater. True. That's true. Um, since COVID struck. That's true. And, you know, um, I actually will give kudos to folks um, who are still wary of being in large groups of people. I think that's intelligent. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, we are. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We, we are. We are wary of it, you know, and um, we make sure we wear our mask when we're at the grocery store and all that. So, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I do understand that it's not normal times, um, but I'm still disappointed. 
It's okay. <laughs> You're allowed. Anyway, I think the film was um, beautifully shot, mm-hmm. uh, a little disjointed. Um, I appreciated the fact that they were going all over the globe, that it wasn't a U.S. focused film. Yeah. Now, I don't think that the um, guy that directed it, don't have his name right off the top of my head. I think he's British. Is he British? Um, I do believe that the film in its entirety was UK yeah. based. So um, I appreciated that it's a different point of view and that they went all over the world filming for this for this movie. But um, I did find it a little disjointed and I did find it, um, like I said, there were a few moments that I thought were really impactful, but a lot of it I think was just really beautiful to look at. And of course, Kate Winslet was narrating it, so it was really beautiful to listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, but whether or not this film is going to change people's minds as far as using animal products, uh, I'm not so sure. Um, oh, and Kate Winslet says methane really funny, so that's interesting. <laughs> I don't think she says it funny. Okay, she again, says, she says methane. Yes, she says methane, and, w- and I'm imagining that that is the British English pronunciation. I suppose so. I've just never heard anybody say methane. Neither have I. But yeah. that doesn't mean Kate Winslet says it funny. <laughs> that means that somewhere else in the world there might be a different pronunciation of what we know as methane. Yeah, it made me laugh. Yeah. Oh, so they did this, uh, they had a couple of what I feel are kind of failed experiments to prove their point. Um, they did the, they did one thing where they had, um, ice sculptures of the globe in little clear boxes, like acrylic boxes, and they were pumping gas into each one of them. I think they had three or four of these boxes with ice sculptures. And like one, they just pumped oxygen in and one, they pumped uh, oxygen and methane. One, they pumped oxygen and CO2. One, they pumped methane and CO2 into to show how it would heat up the atmosphere, how these gases heat up the atmosphere. And it was a little um, anticlimactic. Uh, Sure, the ones with the extra gases did melt a little faster. But, you know, I expected there to be like some dramatic melting going on and there really wasn't and then they did another experiment where they used some sort of infrared camera to catch the burps of cows and there was a pretty significant setup to it and then they just show a shot an infrared shot of a cow's mouth and then a small puff of of air coming out of the the cow's mouth and the cow had obviously burped again uh anticlimactic and I did kind of get the feeling that they expected those things to be more climactic but they had invested in all that so they had to kind of use it in the film that's kind of the the, that's kind of what I got from it I don't know um neither of those moments stood out to me as particularly impactful right as you say um and the talking about the ice sculpture experiment, yes, there were four boxes each with a sculpture of an ice sculpture of the globe. Um, one had normal air, one had carbon dioxide, one had methane, and the other had nitrous oxide. Oh, it was nitrous. Okay. Yeah, it was nitrous oxide. And so um, there was a very clear progression from normal air to carbon dioxide, to methane, to nitrous oxide. Yeah. And yes, there were definite differences in the rate of melt for each sculpture. Yeah. Um, but it was probably a little bit less than I yeah, would have Yeah, it wasn't expected. very dramatic at no, all. No, it wasn't dramatic. Yeah. Now, I mean, 
granted, I wouldn't want them to make it more dramatic just for, you know, just for cinematic purposes. No, definitely not. I mean, it's, if it's, I mean, this isn't hardcore science here, you know, so, but I just wonder why they even bothered with that. I mean, I think um, facts and figures probably would have made more of an impact than watching uh, the five or ten minutes of these uh, glass sculpture, glass, these ice sculptures melting. Well, and and talking about facts and figures, I think that that's one of the areas that the <laughs> film actually did quite well. They did have a number of graphics of various statistics. Yeah, they did. Um, and the graphics were pretty great for the most part, and the statistics were certainly telling, and so I thought they did that quite well. I agree, though, that the... Um, the ice globes and the cow burp experiments were kind of extraneous. They probably they could have been cut. Yeah. And I don't know, every time I hear or see people talking about the um, methane and the cow burps, I'm like, okay, yeah, sure, let's blame it on the cows. That's the impression I get mm. when they start talking about those figures. I'm like, sure, yeah, um, cows do produce methane yeah. when they fart or burp. But guess what? So do we. I mean, I know not as much as cows. Well, that's to be determined, but <laughs> I just, I always kind of get this feeling like, why aren't, you know, we're blaming it on the cow. Don't blame it on the cow. Blame it on the people that are farming thousands and thousands and thousands of cows. And guess what? Most of those cows aren't even, they're not out in fields burping. They're in some, you know, closed off building, acres and acres of closed off building that has, and now those gases still le- leak out into the into the air, of course, you know, they have um, ventilation systems. But why show a cow in a field just minding its own business, eating grass and burping? You know, I just always feel like they're blaming the cow and not us. Us meaning, you know, human beings who are subjecting cows to these lives, you know. That's a perfectly reasonable point. Yeah. Because it's not the cow's fault. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I would check this film out if I was, you know... Anybody out there listening, I would definitely check the film out um, so you can make, you know, form your own opinions about it. And um, there is, this is going to be a little bit of a spoiler section. So if you don't want to hear, because there's an Easter egg after the credits. Mm -hmm. And if you don't want to hear what the Easter egg is, if you'd much rather be surprised by the Easter egg, because that's, you know, that's what Easter eggs are all about. um, You can pause here or turn it off, but make sure you turn it back on. (laughs) so yeah there's an easter egg uh after the credits and we always sit in the movies we always sit through the credits because a lot of times there are things that happen after the credits in a movie and Uh, more importantly i i think it's uh really necessary to acknowledge the work of everybody who contributed well yeah there's that too there's that too (laughs) yeah so this easter egg is um I think it's three or four. Is it three or four of them? It was three. Three uh, chefs and food critics. I don't know their names, and you can't find it online anywhere. So you just have to look for it if you watch the film. And they're feeding them, serving them uh, plant-based products and asking them to uh, say if it's plant-based or animal-based. I think they did a burger. They did um, They did chicken nuggets. Mm-hmm. What else did they do? Um, there was, uh, like a banh mi. Oh, right. Um, there was at least one kind of, um, plant-based seafood. Oh, there was. Was it a shrimp? Maybe a 
I, I think there was a shrimp, and I think there was also a, a like a simulated white fish of some oh, kind. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't remember exactly. Yeah. But yeah, it was about half a dozen uh, different products that they were serving to these critics and, and chefs and asking them to um, guess whether they were yeah. animal-based or plant-based. Yeah, so that was a little fun. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> it was a little bit fun. So yeah, stick around after the credits if you want to uh, check out that Easter egg because it was pretty pretty cute, I guess. <laughs> um, so I'm, I guess we can wrap this up. I don't really have much more to say about this movie. Do you? No, no, I think we've covered most yeah, of the Yeah, I think bases. we've covered everything that we wanted to talk about. Um, I guess the thing that really stood out to us was the Richard Branson thing. Well, I, I don't want Richard Branson to be the takeaway of the film. No. Not by any stretch no, of the imagination. No, that's not our takeaway, but no. I think that was, in my mind, the biggest um, fault of the movie was yes. including Richard Branson because uh, he's just, it's, it's hypocritical. I mean, it's hypocritical to include him in the conversation, I think. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, I guess we'll wrap things up. That was uh, eating our way to extinction, which I have a hard time saying. And uh, if you want to get more information, they do have a pretty cool website uh, with lots of uh, frequently asked questions. And they do have, this is something I have a little bit of mixed feelings about. They have a meal plan on their website that is... uh, you have to pay for it, which I think if this film really wanted to make an impact, why would they not be providing that free to people? Um, but yeah, they have a, a meal pan- plan on their website. Let me see. What, what is it called? It's called uh, Eating for Tomorrow. I think that's what they're calling it. And it's, a, it's like a paid subscription service. Change the world one meal at a time. We're here to help you with your plant-based journey every step of the way. And then there's a get started button. And if you get started, um, you answer some questions about what your goals are uh, and why you want to eat plant-based. And then you go from there. But it's a paid uh, meal plan service. So I don't know. What do you think about that? Um, I don't think it's surprising. That it's paid? Yeah. I'm surprised. It I was surprised surprise me at all. I was really surprised that it's a paid uh, meal plan service. I think that if they really want to forward uh, the message that that the movie was about, I think that they could. Um, I mean, it's it's really in depth. This meal plan service, they could for free. Now, mind you, it's probably like you can try it. I think for fourteen days or something, and then and then decide if you're going to go ahead with the subscription. Mm-hmm. But I think that they could just include. Um, you know, a couple pages is some really good plant-based recipes and leave it at that. I feel a little, I feel it's a little bit of a conflict of interest to have a paid meal plan associated with this movie. I feel um, like is the, I kind of get this feeling it's like, was the movie created to suck people into this paid meal plan? <laughs> you know? Well, no, I wouldn't say that the movie was made to suck people into a paid meal plan, but as with any other film... There's merch. Well, yeah, merch. I have no yes. problem with that. And Sell so t-shirts is, and stuff well, like that. But. Right. But I'm just saying that the film isn't a nonprofit entity. It needs to make money. And so if one of the ways that they're trying to make money outside of selling t-shirts and hoodies and reusable shopping bags is 
to offer a meal plan. Um, no, I don't think that's a conflict of interest. Um, I don't know that I would necessarily buy into it, but... Yeah, I think it, it just kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. Well, and that's fine. No and pun that's intended. Fine. But at the same time, who knows? Um, maybe it leaves a bad taste in your mouth because you, again, are already vegan and you don't need that assistance in making a transition yeah. from being an omnivore to being a herbivore. Yeah. And I think that if it helps anyone make that transition, then okay. All right. Do I love that it's paid? No. Yeah. But... I can accept that as part of the marketing and merchandising of the movie. Okay. We'll have to agree to disagree on well, this. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. All right. Let's wrap this up. All right. So um, today's, uh, we're going to do our seed of knowledge. Today's seed of knowledge, I think, is uh, if you have family members or friends that are not vegan, that eat animal products or use animal products, um, Set yourself a goal to sit down with them and watch one of the many well-made documentaries about um, plant-based diets and the planet and animals. I think if you can do that, you could make a difference. You could definitely make a difference. If you can get one person in your family to reduce their animal uh, consumption or eliminate their animal consumption, then I think we're winning the game, you know? Or at least making some progress. Yep. Absolutely. All right. So that's it. We're going to wrap this up. Um, If you have any questions about this or comments, if you've seen the movie and want to point something out that we didn't talk about, um, you can email us at compassionandcucumbers at gmail.com. That's compassionandcucumbers at gmail.com. You can message us on Instagram at compassionandcucumbers or Facebook at compassionandcucumbers. And check out our website at uh, www.compassionandcucumbers.com. So I think that's it. We're going to wrap this up. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Thanks everybody. Bye-bye. If you'd like to support the Compassion and Cucumbers podcast, well, you can do that by hopping on over to our Patreon page and becoming a patron. We have all the recipes from our Vegan Kitchen series up there, and we'll be adding some patron-only episodes in the near future. So thank you for supporting us at whatever level that you choose, and thank you again for listening to Compassion and Cucumbers podcast.